Garçon, coffee. Welcome to the Coffee and Death Sticks podcast. My name is Kevin Romani. And I am Danny Marchant. And our first, we're breaking away a bit from the bigger blockbuster type movies and into more award-friendly season movies with Steven Spielberg's remake of West Side Story. Danny and I are both massive Steven Spielberg fans. I'm an admirer of musicals, but I would not call myself a major fan of them. I think we'll talk about that a bit. We'll talk about how this is done at the box office the state of remakes and the value of remakes, but just talking about this movie in general at first, Danny, what did you think of the update of West side story? I really liked it. I found it very enjoyable when they announced they were making a remake of West side story. I thought that apart from the obvious thing of not casting actors in brownface, I could think of nothing else. Like you can't improve upon it as a film. I thought like it's basically a perfect film. Steven Spielberg's always wanted to make a musical, but why is he remaking such a famous, iconic movie? His career has been hit or miss of late, of the last 10 years. Like, he hasn't quite made a truly great movie in a little bit. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be a, a misstep from one of my favorite directors. And it, this was right around the time that Ready Player One had come out as well. So I was thinking, mm-hmm. oh, has he reached that? Is Quentin Tarantino right? Like, should directors just retire after a certain mm-hmm. after a certain age? But incredibly, uh, it's not a, it's, he pulled it off. All I can think of is Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park. He did it. You crazy son of a bitch. He did it. <laughs> you did it. You crazy son of a bitch. You did He did a really good job of justifying remaking a classic movie and changing things and updating it in a way that made perfect sense. It's, you know, because it's 50 years old. So, yeah, I thought I was a pleasant surprise incredibly i don't know if i agree with incredibly that he pulled it off only in the sense that i'm going to segue this to something that i've wanted to talk about which i i try to avoid reading full on movie reviews at this point uh both especially before i see a movie and then if i think we are going to talk about it because i don't want anything i say to be impacted by anything that i've read but i will see the rotten tomatoes general page and read the little blurbs and a common blurb I saw about this was it's amazing how comfortable and natural Steven Spielberg is at directing a musical when he's never made one before. It's like, but he's fucking Steven Spielberg. Like this guy's been making movies for 50 years. I certainly imagine there are some nuances and complications to making a musical that go beyond normal filmmaking but this is a guy who made Jaws and Jurassic Park and Raiders of the Lost Ark and Schindler's List. Like, I think he can make those adjustments. And not only can he figure things out, but he's wonderful at delegating and hiring excellent people on his crew. So I'm sure that was the case with this. I'm also thinking back of the Temple of Doom, Anything Goes scene. Uh, I was going to say, that's a great music. We, we have to... Oh, that oh, was wonderful. a great little... <laughs> A wonderful, that is a, I love that opening. 
That's one of my favorite musical numbers in yeah, any movie, and it's not even a musical. And he has said he was so excited because it was his chance to do a Busby Berkeley style, like, song and dance number. So yeah. he has always wanted to do this. Right. Um, always. And he's, I'm sure, a massive fan of this <clears throat> movie. Yeah. I agree with you when I heard that he was remaking this movie. I was so turned off because I just don't like remakes I don't know why good movies get remade. I wonder why some movies that have good ideas that aren't well executed aren't remade. And that I'm sure there are examples of that that I just can't think of. But instead, really great movies get remade all of the time. This one, however, is about as close as you can get to being a perfect sort of circumstance to remake a movie. And it is a wonderful remake in and of itself. I actually had never seen the original West Side Story until this month. I watched it a few weeks before seeing this. And they're both great films. Mm. I think they're a little too similar, but it's at least been 60 years. As you mentioned, there are unfortunate casting issues, <laughs> to, to put it to put it G-rated. Uh, there are casting problems, as the kids say, with the original version. So... That's justification for this. I think this is a better representation of the immigrant experience, particularly for Puerto Rican immigrants that I think highlights this one. I feel like there are a few more acknowledgements of, well, they are also a part of America mm-hmm. where they, that might've been said in the 1961 version, but I think it's a little more like the other, whereas yeah. this one I think shies away from that smartly. You have two very smart people leading this production in Spielberg and Tony Kushner, mm-hmm. who both knew what they were doing. I read about them visiting Puerto Rican communities and groups and talking about what they hoped to do and wanted to do with this movie. And they executed that very well. The musical of it all was executed very well. The look and cinematography, I sometimes thought it was a little bit too bleak and it had a little bit too much of that Janusz Kaminski lighting that can sometimes be a turnoff. But like I said, this one, at least it was 60 years instead of like the Poltergeist remake or something like that, where it's like it had just been a minute. I didn't even know there was a Poltergeist. (laughs) I'm only thinking that because that's the only Spielberg movie that he basically directed that's been remade. And it's like, that was... You've alienated any Toby Hooper fans out there. Well, all right. You know what I mean? I'm not saying, I'm just saying he was heavily involved in it. That's all. That's another podcast. That's another podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like I said, this one at least, it had been a long time. It would hopefully reach new audiences, though we're going to talk about the box office numbers in a little bit. And it's a better representation for the Puerto Rican people, the immigrant experience. I think those are much, much, much better in this version. So I love them both. I think they're both. I think the 1961 version is a wonderful, that era of Hollywood big budget musicals. It's funny because when I watched that, I was so impressed by the opening like five, 10 minute sequence, whatever it is. And I thought, wow, this is one of the things I don't like about musical or play adaptations often is it feels so confined the film and they don't like expand and take advantage of a different medium. And it still feels like a play. 
the West Side Story from 1961 does not feel that way. There are big sets and big locations uh, with lots of wide shots, and they use their scenery really well. And I remember thinking, I don't think this scene itself will be topped. But then I really loved the same scene in this version where it's the same but different. It's still using the location well, using nice big wide shots. You're establishing character, theme, geography without any dialogue, without any singing even. It's all, you're, you're, you are clearly establishing these worlds. And they're basically the same exact sequence, but I thought they were done very well differently. This one, like I said, it, was, it had a little bit more of a bleaker look to it, grayer, destruction, decay, poverty. Whereas the first one was a little bit too colorful, but I also think that really worked well for the genre and the period. So yeah, so I, I really like both movies and I think this is the closest you'll get to a really good movie getting remade into also a very good movie. Yes, I agree with everything you said. They contrast and complement one another in a lot of interesting ways. And I think that's such a good point about so often musical adaptations can feel cramped and very faithful to the stage version and they don't take advantage of the fact that it is a movie. I mean, The Sound of Music, that is a perfect example of taking advantage of the fact that we can actually go to the Alps and not have to you know, worry about set design or anything like that to the point where... When you say Sound of Music, people think of the movie, first and foremost. Fiddler on the Roof taking advantage of, you know, making it sort of a very believable, gritty, realistic shtetl instead of the kind of colorful Chagall-like color scheme on, on, on the stage version where it kind of feels a little cartoonish. That first West Side Story movie doesn't feel cartoonish, but like you said, you'd be forgiven for thinking that Puerto Rico was not part of America. That, mm-hmm. you know, they came, they've come from a completely foreign country and this movie does a better job of acknowledging that they are and really ought to be americans and it also does a pretty good job of acknowledging that the sort of the neighborhood as a whole and this class of people as a whole is getting maybe erased and pushed out by the sort of changing new york city you know lincoln square is about to become lincoln center and none of that is in the stage musical none of that's in the 1961 movie so right i thought that was great Yes, that they added that in. Um, I loved the touch of having, of not having subtitles. I thought it was such a good idea, not subtitling the Spanish dialogue because yes, then it would immediately, it's like they're just speaking Spanish. It's their language, and not right. putting the subtitles kind of undercuts that it's just a language. And yes, obviously yep. you miss some things if you don't speak Spanish, but I liked that it kind of acknowledged that you know this this is their language. And it doesn't really need to be translated because we're not translating the English dialogue with Spanish subtitles. So Correct. I thought that was a nice touch. Again, not having actors in brownface, a huge, huge plus. <laughs> a huge yeah. plus. Rita Moreno was basically the only person on that first movie. Everyone else was just yeah, was just basically a white person. So all good things. <laughs> to kind of play devil's advocate, obviously brownface bad not good yeah <laughs> i i i'll be the first to say it it's not a good idea to use have white people play brown characters with brown face but and i don't want to give it a complete pass and say that was the time that sort of thing but i will say watching it and the themes and what the movie was saying and what it was articulating aside from the look of these characters 
felt incredibly progressive and timely yeah. and, and way, way ahead of its time. So that's another reason why I think it does make some sense. Again, I, I ultimately would have just said, I don't think this movie should be remade, but I think that makes some sense where it's like they had the ideas in place, but it was still 1960 when they filmed it. it there were still these outdated ideas. So let's modernize it a bit. Let's just fix the few things that were wrong. So I do want to give credit to that. And I think that's, of course, ultimately credit to the playwright, Stephen Sondheim, versus the filmmakers. I think that's where there's a little bit of discrepancy. So I was glad to see these changes, but I don't want to just like say, oh, my God, you know, that movie was an abomination. No, you you do. You do have to look back at things again, even though I just said I don't want to say it, but you do have to look at it when it was made and, and have no, that consideration. I mean, it, it is a great movie. Lawrence of Arabia is a great movie as well. And that also mm-hmm. has the same problem. That isn't how Hollywood worked back then. And that's that's a shame. But the movie itself is still a great movie. Um, yes. And this this movie doesn't just have, oh, it's they updated it and they cast actual uh, Hispanic and Latinx actors. No, the movie itself is also very good. It justifies its existence beyond updating it and making it more in line with us in 2021. Right. The other things in the movie also are like, oh, I see why you remade it. You had a you had a take. You had something new to offer to the story. The Lincoln Center point was a great one. I And I think it I believe that's really like the first shot of the movie mm-hmm. as the camera's coming up and to immediately identify that. And again, how much was expressed in the opening scene in this movie without any dialogue, without any songs yet? It's like Spielberg. You're right. He's he's had a couple of misfires. Really, his only. I'd say his only great movie in the last 10 years was Lincoln. Agreed. And he's had a couple of good movies. Bridge of Spies is a good movie. The Post is a good movie. Ready Player One was just another reminder. I think he needs to move on from any sort of action adventure, nostalgic science fiction. If he does more adult science fiction, but if he's doing more fantasy science fiction, that sort of thing, that his time has unfortunately passed. I think evidence of that was, of course, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, mm. that he's just too old for these properties. And I think as we discussed in our Indiana Jones podcast, you know, we at first it seems sacrilegious to hear Steven Spielberg won't be directing a, an Indiana Jones film. But in retrospect, I think that was the right decision. And I applaud him for recognizing that about himself. And I think Ready Player One was maybe his kind of dipping his toe back in the water to see if he still had that energy, that capacity. And I think I, that's gone. I, I don't even think he directed most of that movie. I think he just did the live yeah. action stuff. And yeah. I think it was just sort of a, he was curious. He was flattered because the book is such a kind of a love letter to him. And I mean, lots of other things. And I think I think that was just a killing time between movies and that's what it felt like his heart his heart was certainly not in that one or it was him as sort of the king of nostalgia deciding hey maybe if i make maybe i'll be the one to make the ultimate nostalgia movie since i am i'm so linked with this idea but yeah i agree i think lincoln was his last great movie and yes he's good at this kind of well the west side story was bigger than a lot of these previous movies lincoln was True. Kind of a small story. Bridge of Spies and the Post are small stories. But yeah, in the first, in the opening minutes of this movie, I felt that feeling of, oh, I'm in the hands of Steven Spielberg. He knows what mm-hmm. he's doing. Like, there's no way this is going to be a disaster because he no. just, like you said, the qualifications to make a great movie musical are basically the same of making just a great movie. You just have to be a good director. He is. So obviously he was successful. I was nervous this would be not a failure, but a miss, sort of a 
Yeah, they yeah. Kind of land with a thud, which it has financially, but critically. Yeah, good segue. It's been, it's been very warmly received. I wasn't surprised to see this didn't do well. You know, it's coming out holiday season. The pandemic is kind of resurging with the new variant. But then what surprised me was how poorly this did and then how unbelievably successful Spider-Man has been. Like, more successful than The Force Awakens, which I did not think would ever be beaten in December, like during that one week before Christmas weekend. I think it's now official. It's the movie industry is dead yeah. <laughs> unless unless you are making a tentpole and actually not even a tentpole movie unless you're making basically a Marvel Star Wars and I'll put an asterisk and say James Cameron whenever that Avatar sequel comes out. Mm. But the Matrix Resurrections, granted, that had a lot of that has a lot of different variables. It's R-rated. It's on HBO Max. But that wildly underperformed. West Side Story underperformed. Everything else is underperforming. And then Spider-Man has the biggest December opening of all time, which I didn't even realize there was that much anticipation. I knew it was. And don't get me wrong. I'm not stupid. It's a Marvel movie all the returning potential characters. I get all of that, but I did not ever expect it to be, I think the second biggest opening ever. I've given up. Yeah. For a while, the, the sort of the, the main hot take was they don't make mid budget movies anymore. Yeah. It's all big yep. movies that no one makes just a mid budget movie. That's still true. However, they don't make big budget movies for adults anymore. They don't yep. like, it's not just mid budget movies for smaller audiences or for older audience. It's, any budget movie that is anything other than, as you said, Marvel or Star Wars, you know, something owned by Disney. It's really sad. The amount of money a movie makes has nothing to do with the movie's quality, really. Of course it's, it's not. Nothing to do with it. No. It's just a sign of when things make money that convinces Hollywood to keep doing that thing. I remember The Last Duel also bombed. However, yeah. that one I kind of understand because the subject matter was not for everyone in two ways. Some people might not want to go see a big historical epic. Yeah. And then a lot of people might not want to go see a movie that deals very sort of frankly and brutally with sexual assault. They, they, they don't want to go see that in the theater. So I understand why yeah. that kind of did not find its audience. I don't think it was all the millennium's fault, as Ridley Scott said. But <laughs> it was... Un- it's the Millennium Falcon's fault. What a piece of junk! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Him referring to millennials as millennials. Millennials. Uh, yeah. Millennials. He called them millennials. Like millennials. Star Trek species. Yeah. But again, it was disappointing because it's a movie that was made for adults to see. It wasn't marketed yeah. towards kids. It wasn't marketed towards teenagers, and it and it bombed. And then West Side Story. It's a beloved musical. It's a beloved film musical. It's Steven Spielberg, and it's Christmas. Like, it's almost like the perfect counterpoint. Yep. You know, there's Spider-Man, but you can also see West Side Story. Yeah. It's uh, a different type of film for the people that don't want to see Spider-Man. I forgot to look it up, but I know Les Mis came out in 2012 around the same time. And my memory is that it did. 
I don't think it made gangbusters money, but I think it did well. It was very successful. It was very yeah. popular. And uh, that movie sucks. So it's a, it's a shame <laughs> that this movie, which is very, very good, that it's been such a dud. Like you said, I think adults just aren't seeing movies anymore. I think they've grown, in particular, very accustomed to watching things at home. I used to suspect it was the, what is it the, again, the millennials? The millennials. <laughs> The Millennials. I did think it was us, but then again, it's a Steven Spielberg film. I'm going to see this. I, I mentioned to you earlier, I've seen every Steven Spielberg directed movie in a theater all the way back to War of the Worlds. So he's my favorite filmmaker. If he's making something, I'm going to see it no matter what it is. And admittedly, this was not something I was very excited to see per se, but it was a pleasant surprise because I would say it's easily his best movie like i said since lincoln what he is able to do i'm gonna quote from the spielberg documentary that was on hbo a couple years ago i know we both watched fantastic Um, it's a wonderful documentary i can't remember who said it but it was a critic said early on i think it was before even sugarland express i think it was just his tv movies and tv work that it was like boy this guy moves the camera really well And then later in his career, it became nobody moves the camera like Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. And that's still the case. What he is able to capture in camera movement and staging and framing and perspective, it's inspiring. It really is. And he still has it. And it's wonderful to see him in another genre and nail it. And not to get too far off track again from this specific movie, but I'm really interested to see his next movie because it's also something different. I don't mm. know if you've heard much about he's making a an autobiography yes, sort the Fablemans. of The Fablemans. So it's again him stepping into a somewhat different area and he's making he wrote the screenplay with mm-hmm. th- either Tony Kushner or someone else. He wrote it I think it's his first screenplay since AI if I'm not mistaken. He doesn't really ever write a script. Yes, I believe so. And it's yeah. a very personal film. I know his father recently passed away he did and that's actually something else i wanted to bring up with this but uh, so i'm i'm really excited to see what he's going to continue to do that i think the era of the big blockbuster is past him but i hope he keeps making movies but it's pretty baffling to think that steven spielberg may struggle to get the budget he wants at times nowadays because these movies just aren't making money anymore yeah it's a shame and I think within five years, maybe within 10 years, movie theaters, big movie theaters, chain movie theaters are just going to be yep. Disney palaces, basically. Yeah. And you see the latest Marvel, Star Wars, whatever else they buy. It's just, uh, you know, Disney, just Disney itself, Pixar. And if you want to see anything else, it's independent theaters or at home. Yeah. It's a shame because there should be room for more kinds of films like this one yes yeah i did not get very emotional during this movie mostly because i knew what was going to happen after seeing the first movie right but i did get a little a little emotional at the during the end credits that said for dad Mm. so i don't know if you know but is i wanted to say that this was his father's favorite movie. I think he I, discussed this at one point, and I, I was wondering if you would know because we both listened to all of the the special features on all the DVDs. That's not something I know. I, I know his dad features very heavily in the documentary about him. He was involved in a lot of like the Saving Private Ryan special features because he was in the armed forces during World War II. But no, I was not 
I don't know if it was his favorite movie. I mean, it would make sense. I, I can see that being that that's a perfectly logical favorite movie for someone that age to have. For and sure. He was super close with his father. Yeah, I can. I, I also had that little moment of like, oh, that's that's sweet. Yeah. I had a similar moment at the end of an equally great film, Exodus, Gods and Kings. Um <laughs> Which was, which was dedicated to, to Tony Scott, Ridley Scott's brother, who had yeah. unfortunately died earlier. I remember thinking, oh, that's very sweet, brothers. The movie itself wasn't very good, but this was a good movie and a nice little postscript. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had not heard that, but it sounds true. And for the purposes of our conversation, let's just assume that it is. I'm just going to assume it's true also, baselessly. Uh, what, I, what then made me... That made me then understand a bit more why he maybe chose this one mm. and then that made it feel a little bit more and it's like okay it, because of covid this made it a clean 60 year anniversary yeah. for the remake and i like the idea of him in honor of his father remaking his favorite film and giving it this like wonderful sense of attention and mm. that made it a little bit more justifiable for me oh yeah and i but i couldn't help but wonder i would love to see now that steven spielberg proved he can direct a musical who would have known that the greatest filmmaker to ever live is able to take on another genre even though he's made one of the best movies in almost every genre there is already add this to the list but i would like to see him do an original musical whether it's either a, a stage adaptation that hasn't been made yet mm. or just a musical film like like a la la land or something like that that didn't previously exist maybe not next but maybe in one of his final films down the road and one of the monkeys paws fingers curls as a couple years from now we watch the hamilton adaptation directed by Steven <laughs> oh oh my god you know what that is so ripe for his sensibilities he's a, too. He's uh, a classic old school liberal he would love hamilton so history popular like you said him kind of potentially inserting himself into ready player one because of the nostalgia factor and i could see that that's inevitable right that movie must oh, yeah. happen at some point oh yeah and yeah interesting yes so i will reserve that because th there's another now playing devil's advocate again you had mentioned the possibility of is quentin tarantino right should filmmakers stop making movies I was thinking, God, if this is one of his last movies and it's a remake of an already great movie, that hurts a little bit. But it was impressive. He made enough changes that I think ultimately justified it. If you're going to do it, this is the way to do it. I think the only other remake I can think of so far that I absolutely adore is the True Grit remake. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a reason to remake a movie. Like, that one is popular. The original John Wayne True Grit is a popular movie, but it's awful. <laughs> and yes, well, this is like a remake. It's, it's we're gonna we're gonna actually. It, well, the that's what I mean. Yeah. It, it's like a it, it's the same major plot beats. Of course. But aside from that, the tone, the characters, everything else about the movie is completely different. So it's like, hey, if you liked that original, that's fine. But this is like a modern movie that feels completely different. This felt still like the first one. Again, they made the changes that needed to be made, but otherwise it was just a really well done actual remake of the original movie. Yeah, there, there's only so much you can do with adapting a musical before you reach a point where you have to ask, well, why pick this? If, you, if you're going to make it so different, why even adapt it? So right. yeah, it, within the confines of just kind of another take on a musical, it certainly justified it, its existence. Yes. Uh, they didn't have actors singing on set and they didn't have cameras yeah. away from their face. 
the whole time. Like you said, big wide shots to take advantage of the fact that this is a movie, not a stage play. Correct. Well, as the expert of this story in the film, the previous film, I have one question, something that I maybe would have changed that felt a little off in this movie. In this version, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen, who isn't familiar with any version of West Side Story. Spoilers but, for anyone who isn't a person. <laughs> yes. Although, well, actually, I guess I wasn't a person before a month so. ago because I, I so. <laughs> didn't at least know like the basics. I knew what the Jets and the Sharks were. I knew what most of the big songs were, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So speaking of the big songs, in this version, Tony kills Bernardo. We cut to Maria and the I feel pretty number happens. Mm -hmm. It felt very tonally. It was like the biggest moment, like the climax of the film happens. The saddest thing, well, the first really sad thing happens. And then it cuts to like this joyous song, this joyous number. is not the order of events in the 1961 version am i correct no and it's the order in this movie is the order in the stage musical okay and for the for the longest time i only knew west side story through the film that was the soundtrack i listened to and when i finally got my hands on the broadway soundtrack i was like what the hell is i feel pretty doing after the rumble (laughs) yeah that's 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 a strange placement so yeah, the, the 1961 movie moved a lot of things around. They moved the Officer Krupke song around. I mean, I don't know why they kind of switched it back. And in this movie, maybe it's to give us a short... I mean, it, it makes the I Feel Pretty scene not... It makes it sort of darkly ironic. In in the 1961 version, it's, she's so happy because she's met this guy and she feels, she, she feels energized and she feels pretty. Like, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. She's in a really good mood. And in yeah. this, you were in the good mood with her. Yes. And then in this movie, you're like, oh, so poor Maria. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So I. When is she going like to find said, out I, that this guy murdered her brother? It was very awkward. And I also was confused as to why they made that change. All right. I'm glad I wasn't alone. I'm like, no. I'm missing some greater. And, and I think you're right. I think they're going with irony. I think they're trying to fit with the tragedy theme or just simply honoring the original order of the play but to me it just felt off-putting and a change now that i know that this was a change that the 1961 film made i think that was a good change i think that tonally works much better the way they did it but i'm also glad you mentioned the officer Krupke song because that is my favorite song in both versions of the film <laughs> very good great song it's great. it's a great song and then further i had text danny i i have not seen well, i guess i get um, this also makes me not a person i have not seen curb your enthusiasm but trending all over the internet was his interaction with 
a character named Officer Krupke that I found very entertaining. So oh, yeah. I, that's going to give me motivation to go and watch that show. But. <laughs> Is that your name? Yeah. Krupke? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, Matt Krupke. You're Officer Krupke! I am. Familiar with West Side Story? No, sir. <laughs> what? There's a character in West Side Story named Officer Krupke. Okay. You're Officer Krupke. You never heard the song? No, sir. Oh, Officer Krupke, what are we to do? Gee, Officer Krupke, Krup you. You never heard that? No. No? No. By the way, they wanted to say fuck you, but in the 50s on Broadway, Sondheim, he couldn't write fuck you. So Krup you is a substitute for fuck you. Mm. Has anybody ever said Krup you? No. Some guy told me to go fuck my face once. He went to jail. Okay. I certainly recommend this, again, as not the biggest musical fan, as a remake skeptic. Yes, I am very biased in my love for Steven Spielberg, but I will also readily admit, like like Ready Player One and some of his other movies this past decade, he's gone into kind of, eh, like, the later stage of his career has not been certainly as good as the first three quarters or so. So I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. I definitely would recommend seeing it. Likewise, it's a great movie. It's not perfect, but it's it's a really good time. See it in a theater if you're comfortable and feel safe. I completely understand why that would be a, a, a deal breaker for folks, but uh, it's a really good movie. He did it. Yes. That crazy and I would. He did it. <laughs> Pause for one of us will be putting that drop in <laughs> and... You did it. You crazy son of a bitch, you did there we go. And yes, and I would say if you go see this in a theater, you'll probably safely be close to alone in the theater, unfortunately. So as I was when I saw it just a few days after it came out. Anyway, thank you very much for listening and check out West Side Story. I don't want to sell your death sticks. I don't want to sell your death sticks. You want to go home and rethink your life. I want to go home and rethink my life.